On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. We all have mothers that tell us something ad nauseum. If, I mean, and some of us are mothers and we repeat the same thing. I know that uh, Marilyn's mother always used to ask her if she had any lipstick. Be sure to put on lipstick. My mother's thing as I would run out the door was, remember to say thank you. Remember to say thank you. I, I quake in my boots to think about what my children will report on for me in 20 or 30 years was, was my catch-all phrase. But uh, thank you has different expressions as we travel around the world. It's, it's not all, you knew it had to come into the sermon sometime this morning, it is not all about us late Western postmodern mindsets. It's not all done the way we do it, nor is it all right just the way we do it and everybody else does it wrong. You know, it differs from culture to culture. The ladies went to see the movie Downton Abbey not too long ago, and did you know in correct upper crust British society to thank the servant is a no-no? Because by thanking the servant, you acknowledge their presence. And they're supposed to be so invisible as they serve the peerage of Victorian England, which still exists today to a certain extent, that to thank them, you acknowledge that you even see them, and so you shouldn't do that. But if you are given tea by a peer, being someone equal of rank, or done a service by someone equal in rank, you are owed, you owe them a debt of gratitude, usually in the form of a written note. Another thing my mother was a stickler about, write your thank you notes. If we continue traveling around the world and uh, uh, you get to India and the Philippines, you offend people if you thank them short of some superhuman, over-the-top, um, beyond even any reasonable expectation act. If you just thank them for putting the glass of water in front of you, you offend them. Because it is such a simple thing and a part of life that why wouldn't they put the water in front of you? So we Westerns, Westerners, with our thank you, postmodern mindset, 
say, thank you for that water. And they look at you like, well, my job here is to work in this restaurant and to set the water in front of you. Why would you thank me, you idiot, you crazy American? And then there's China. And China is a beast unto itself, mostly because China's mindset is completely different than ours. I mean, the Chinese work for the betterment of the whole. The word individualistic is not generally used to describe the Chinese society. They are always working for the betterment of the whole. So there again, the thank you is superfluous because you should be doing that and more for the betterment of society as a whole. But there again, if you go above and beyond, then a debt of gratitude is owed and a thank you is required. Our text this morning was in Luke, and by way of reminder, we've been in John and Mark, and we've been around the world a little bit here in terms of our Gospels. Uh, but Luke, just to remind you, is writing to the Gentiles. Luke writes from an educated position. He was not uneducated. Many say he was a doctor. And he writes both Luke and Acts. And sometimes those books are referred to as book one and book two, not separate books, because Luke wrote both of them. I hope there's not a test later where Dave is going to correct all my errors. We hold the same educational degrees, but they came from different schools, so we'll have to see how this plays out. <laughs> Luke is the only non-Jewish writer of the gospel, and it is the longest of the narrative gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that, you know, first then, then this, then this, then this. It's the longest. If you were to break up, you know, the pages in your Bible and hold Luke together, it represents about 25% of the New Testament. Which isn't hard when you think of Jude being four paragraphs or something like that. It's pretty small. Luke is probably Greek because of the verbiage he uses, the language he uses. He has people referring to Jesus as master, which would have been a very cultural norm for a Greek culture. Learned people were referred to as master, not because they owned you like slave master, or master as in in charge of them, but master as in the master of the knowledge. So when we hear people refer to Jesus as master, which happens continually in the book of Luke, Rachel, could you please silence my, par silence my parents? It goes off every time they move around their apartment so I can check the cameras. But if they fall during church, they're on their own. Um, that sounds really cold, I'm sorry. So we know that Luke is a little bit Greek, probably a lot Greek, because of the way he addresses Jesus. It's also a pretty good supposition that at some point, he interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus. Can't prove it, 
You know, they didn't have uh, EndNote to cite all their citations, like when we write a thesis or a dissertation now. But the way he talks about the women is different than any of the other Gospels. He mentions more women than any of the other Gospels. He's really free with their work and role in the life of Jesus. He's the one from which we know that rich women supported Jesus' ministry. Luke frequently emphasizes the weak, the marginalized, and the downtrodden. Simply interviewing Mary would be controversial because women weren't allowed to give testimony. And by interviewing someone, they're giving testimony. But Luke is the only book to include the story of the ten lepers. Luke is the only book to include the prodigal son. And Luke is the only book to include the story of the Good Samaritan, which is also about a foreigner, the marginalized and the downtrodden. We need to remember as we look at this this morning that Luke is bookended with glory, glorification, people glorifying God. And why is that important, Robin? Because we're talking about glorifying God. The leper came back and glorified God, prostrated himself at Jesus' feet. But if we think about the bookends in Luke, we have the shepherds glorifying God. We'll do that in about six weeks. Christmas is coming, guys. And then at the crucifixion, we have the centurion who glorified God. Surely this man was the son of God. It's bookended. Luke's story is not a political statement, but rather the importance of Christ's message. And you could make an argument for one of the themes of Luke being Christ's message to the marginalized and the downtrodden those that don't necessarily deserve it from their position in society. This is a new thing in, in Bible times because everybody has a position. And whether we like it or not, we live in a similar society where we have positions. Walk through any high school if you don't believe we have positions. From the hierarchy of the students to the groups within the groups, to the hierarchy of the teachers and who's in favor and out of favor. The story is pretty straightforward. You got Jesus traveling and you got 10 lepers that he comes across. 10 lepers. And like good lepers, they announce themselves because they were not supposed to mix with society because they didn't know the cause of leprosy and they had no way to treat it. So when you had a leper come in contact with a non-lepers person, they had to go, hey, I'm a leper. Wake up. Here I am. You know, like carrying around the neon sign. Here I am. But they have set out to meet Jesus. 
They've heard he's coming, obviously, and they've set out to meet him, and they meet him on the road, and from a distance they call out, hey, we're lepers, but master, we would really seek some healing here. We're trying to follow the rules, you know, we're keeping our distance, but we would really like some healing here. They receive what they ask for. There's no long, complicated healing process. Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest, and because the priests are the only ones that can mark them clean, he does not say you're healed. He just says, go show yourself to the priest. Catch that. Think about that. It is in the act of turning around and going to the priest that they are healed. Their faith heals them. It's kind of like when you are telling your kid what to do and how far to jump and they ask on the way up, you know? They're anticipating the healing by turning and going to the priest. So they recognize that they're healed on the way to the priest, and yes, they still have to go to the priest even though they're miraculously healed on the way to the priest because the priest has to, you know, rubber stamp the paperwork that says you're no longer a leper. But on the way, one leper, the Samaritan, the person with whom there is great enmity between the Jewish and the Samaritan people, the one foreigner There might have been more, but this one specifically, we're told, is a foreigner, turns around and comes back to Jesus and says, thank you. And he doesn't just say thank you. He throws himself at Jesus' feet, and he says, thank you. Now, if we stop here, I got a question for all the moms. Who among you has not used this story to teach your children to say thank you? good second grade story you know you see Jesus healed the ten lepers and he was really happy when the one leopard came back leper not leopard leper came back and said thank you so you must remember to thank grandma Edith for that Christmas present you didn't like you must say thank you we've all done it right we've all done it it's a great great illustration for our kids that there's a little bit more to the story. There's a little bit more if we dig into it. There's a little bit more if we move ourselves beyond second grade Sunday school and think about it in terms of maybe a little more depth. That previous leper prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and oh boy, we're backing up. We're backing up as fast as we can go. Because, here we go, our late postmodern Texas mindset goes, holy cow, you want us to throw ourselves at somebody's feet? We are second to nobody. I'm not throwing myself at anybody's feet. Only people who are needy and unimportant throw themselves at other people's feet. We see young ladies and young men throwing themselves at one another's feet, professing their undying love, and we go, they'll learn. They'll learn. I'm too important to throw myself at anyone's feet. I won't do it. 
Who among us does not take that posture when asked to throw ourselves at someone's feet? I'm, I'm not harping on us uh, about being late postmodern Texas mindset people because I think it's necessarily bad. It is the culture in which we live. We have to be able to go to the grocery store and buy our groceries and interact with the checkout person. If we threw ourselves at the checkout person's feet, we'd pro you know, the next thing we'd hear would be 911. But we do need to be aware about how our culture, if you can't tell Dave, I've really been harping about late postmodern Western mindset for a while now. Yeah, 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 yeah. We need to be aware of how our culture and our, the way we act, that we, we don't even think about how we act, might not be in keeping with what our heart needs to be doing with our relationship with Jesus. Because I could never throw myself at someone's feet. Are we really going to say that to the creator of the universe? To the person who died for our sins? Feet falling, or prostrating yourself at someone's feet, feet falling. Kaylin does it really well. We all need to take lessons from Kaylin. Feet falling has no magical powers in and of itself. But the mindset represents total submission. Uh-oh, now you want me to be submissive. First you want me to fall at people's feet, and now you want me to be submissive, and wait a minute, I'm a Texan. I don't submit to anybody. I pull my boots on one-handed. It's nice enough that we can actually wear our boots again. They're having blizzards where it's really cold and we think we're freezing at 57, right? But we got our boots out. Total submission. Oh, we hate the idea of total submission. Who are we totally submissive to? Who? We've been arguing as women for years that we should not have to be submissive to our husbands, and we get around that by saying you should be mutually submissive to each other, you know. Because, you know, I can't be submissive to you if you're not submissive to me. But any marriage based on 50-50, nobody's submitting. They're just compromising. They're really good compromisers. We're so busy making sure everybody knows how we feel and what we want that we forget submissive is a 100% thing. A 100% thing. And we don't want to be submissive to God because if we're 100% submissive to God, he's going to put us on a slow boat because God never flies first class, it seems like. He's going to put us on a slow boat and make us missionaries to Africa, right? If we're 100% submissive, we don't get any say in our life. And we're all going to be missionaries to Africa. I don't read that in my Bible. He might make us give up something we think we want. 
if we're 100% submissive. Really briefly, I would like us to look at three actions that take place, and I mean briefly, and three reaction points by Jesus. Three actions that happen and three reaction points. The three action points all take place with the leopards. Lepers. There's no D on it, Robin. Lepers. I'm a southerner. The first action is the actual healing. We said they had faith to turn and go report as healed, which is the act that heals them is their faith. How many of us have the faith to act as though it's already happened? That's a lot of faith. I don't know too many people that even have the faith to follow instructions when they can't be guaranteed the outcome. The second action is the one leper turns back and glorifies God. One, one of ten. Those are really crappy percentages. One of ten. And the third action is he throws himself at Jesus' feet. Total submission. Total submission. To which Jesus has three reactions. Makes three statements. His first one sounds a lot like something a mother would say. Were there not ten healed? I'm sh let me Let me check. Let me rerun the movie in my head. Yes, I'm sure there were ten of you. One, two, three, four. Yeah, there were ten of you. Ten of you asked for something. And ten of you were healed. Were there not ten? Jesus is fully aware of who's submitting and who's not. We're not hiding in a crowd here when we don't submit. He notices if we're not the ones throwing ourselves at his feet. He knows what he's done for us. The second reaction Jesus says is, why is the foreigner the one saying, thank you? This is the one person least likely to get something out of this situation. The one person least likely to be thankful. The one person most likely to say, I had it coming, you know, because you guys have wronged us for so many years, or to just be happy that he's healed and run off to the priest or skip the priest altogether and go find his own priest, the one most unlikely person comes back. All the people that should know better, how many moms have said that to your kids? Well, you should know better. You've been taught, you've been taught, you've been taught. Why is the foreigner the one saying thank you? And then he says, your faith has made you well. But depending on the translation in the Greek word, and this is where language sometimes screws us up, your faith has saved you. 
all ten of them exhibited a level of faith when they turned around and headed off to be rubber stamped well. They had a level of faith because the healing didn't happen until they turned and left. They all had a level of faith to be well. But the one that came back and glorified God is the one that was saved. Leprosy is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Going bankrupt is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Being the black widow wife is not the worst thing that can happen to you. You fill in the blank is not the worst thing that can happen to me. And we got some doozies going, don't we? Blank is not the worst thing that can happen to me. What is the worst thing that can happen to me? It is missing the boat on recognizing Jesus as Lord. Spending eternity separated from Jesus, getting pretty close to being the worst thing ever, but missing the boat and not recognizing Jesus as Lord is the, hands down, worst thing that can ever happen to you. Jesus is telling the leper, your faith in me and recognition of who I am will save more than your body. It saves your soul. Now, we are really quick to punish the nine for their ingratitude, especially when we are teaching that little kid about saying thank you. Now, you didn't tell Grandma Edith thank you for her Christmas present, and I don't care that you didn't like it, so you're going to turn around right now, march in there, and tell Grandma thank you, and you're not going to have any ice cream until you do it. Some version of that happens when we're grown-ups, too. We are quick to punish the nine for their ingratitude. But how often do we forget to be grateful? How often do we forget to throw ourselves in total submission at the feet of Jesus? How often do we rejoice when something wonderful has happened? And it isn't until we're sort of nudged or prodded that we go, oh yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Did I just screw up the mic, Corey? No. Okay. I haven't had leprosy. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that I haven't had leprosy. But I'm guilty of it. You say thank you when something really favorable happens. Listen to a child sometime. I got to spend some time with Izzy and, and Kaylin this weekend together, which was a lot of fun. Them together is just a riot. But it's really fun because they're both at that stage where they're learning everything and if you hand them something, you get this little tiny, thank you. Even Izzy, thank you. You know, she can't speak, but she's making the syntax to indicate she understands speech. You know that it's, 
thank you by the voice tone. And you can hand her the same little stupid toy 15 times. And she says, thank you. And when Kaylin rips it out of her hand, she goes, thank you. <laughs> and when Kaylin gives it back, she says, thank you. And when you distract Kaylin by handing her a different toy, she says, thank you. Everything to them is thank you. They don't have to be prompted. Sometimes they do. But it becomes a game and you smile and your face lights up and they, they feed on your face lighting up and suddenly they want to thank you for taking a breath. The thank you is its own reward to them. I'd like to have that kind of faith where I throw myself at Jesus' feet and the thank you is the reward. And then the question I have to ask myself is, is my faith strong enough to turn away and walk away expecting whatever it is I've asked for? Now, we're not going to get into that name it, claim it thing because we talked about that a couple weeks ago. My friend Cheryl and I were complaining together about our parents. My parents have actually made the move to the home. Her parents need to. So we're sort of in the same boat. And we decided they're just like teenagers. Our parents have regressed to being teenagers. My turn's coming. I say that with all the grin of knowing that my turn's coming. And pretty soon, before we can blink too many more times, Rachel, Richie, and Randy are going to be going, Mom, you're acting like your parents. And we were sitting there talking, and we said, you know, if they would just do what we asked them to do, because we know it's best for them, if they would just do what we asked them to do, everything would be okay. And then we looked at each other, and I said, Cheryl, how many times has God said that about us? If we would just do what he asks us to do, everything would be okay. Our faith was more solid. If we could trust God, because he only does what's good for us, everything would be okay. When we acknowledge and thank God for his gifts of grace, mercy, last week's words, sufficiency and abundance, then we begin to get further and further from ourselves as center and closer and closer the Lord as center. We begin to see more of what we owe and less of what we are owed. And all that happens when we hit the ground at Jesus' feet. When we turn in ourselves as Lord and Master of our lives, 
on a daily basis and hit the ground at Jesus' feet and say, I submit to you again today, Lord. I submit to you again today, Lord. I submit to you again today, Lord. Whatever you're going to walk with me through on today, I submit again to you, Lord, because you are worthy of glory. Thank you, Lord, for your great gifts. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, not much else to say, but thank you for your great gifts. Continue to pour out your grace and mercy in abundance as we struggle with sufficiency. As we struggle with faith, as we struggle with keeping ourselves off the center of our thrones, we thank you again and again for your great gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.